Welcome to C-Suite Radio. This is Amy Poehler. My new movie, Disney and Pixar's Inside Out 2, is coming to theaters June 14th. And it's making me feel joy and sadness and anger. Definitely some disgust. Rose! And I think a little fear. But I'm also feeling these new emotions like anxiety, embarrassment, envy, and ennui. It's what you call the boredom. Okay, that one was weird. It's going to be the feel-everything movie of the summer. Disney and Pixar's Inside Out 2. Rated PG. Parental guidance suggested. Only in theaters June 14. Get tickets now. Idly hey! Welcome to another episode of The Brett Allen Show. Prepare to be astonished! A pop culture podcast. Join Brett weekly as he interviews your favorite celebrities from film, <gasps> oh, television, back in business, baby. comedy, and much more. Inconceivable! Plus, you never know who will stop by. Dude, we are so gonna party! Now, here is your host, Brett Allen. Happy Friday, everybody, and welcome into another episode of the Brett Allen Show, a pop culture podcast where we interview your favorite celebrities, comedians, musicians from pop culture and wherever pop culture hangs out. And today we have a massive guest with us. I'm excited. I've been looking forward to this one for a long time. If you are a child of the 80s or it could be the 90s or even now, then you're definitely going to know who our guest is. We are chatting with Dee Schneider, front man, lead singer of Twisted Sister. D. welcome into the show. It's great to have you here today. It's great to uh, be here, but I'm actually former. We we uh, retired in 2016, and since I've done three solo records. Yes. And, uh, you know, and, uh, and um, so, you know, I'm very much on my own now, but you know, that will, Twisted Sister, of course, will always be my legacy. And I often just say from Twisted Sister because it's just easier, but I get No, 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 it's totally fine. I, I think it's fantastic. I have been following you from the beginning, really, and all of your new music and things. And yes, you did retire and you are doing things on your own. Let's talk about that. You have been a very busy individual. You have not stopped I mean, you've done pretty much anything I think anybody can possibly do in the span of the career that you've had. I think you're right. Um, there's, 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 uh, I'm trying to think of things I haven't done. And one of the major one is uh, that I will be doing next year is directing. Uh, okay. I'll be directing uh, my first feature film, a movie I wrote called My Enemy's Enemy, which is being produced by the, uh, uh, by the people who do the Halloween franchise. So, Oh, I'm excited wow. about that. And and a lot of what I've been doing, you know, post post eighties, really, you know, I mean, I viewed, uh, I viewed, you know, making it like so many young musicians, aspiring musicians as like a finish line. And it okay. was a real shock to find out that it was not a finish line <laughs> that uh, uh, you wake up and uh, the money that you made in your twenties, isn't going to last for the next 50 years <laughs> and you've got to do something else. So, you know, as you know, I've done radio and TV and movies and writing and voiceover and acting and Broadway and things like that. But, you know, so, uh, so uh, directing is something I never thought I'd be doing, but I'm very excited at the prospect. It's interesting. I want to talk about that because you mentioned it and, and I have to say, well, we'll get into it in a second. The idea of making it as the finish line, I imagine, and please correct me if I'm wrong, but when you started out on this journey, you you probably didn't have 
the success and the fame and all of that in mind? I mean, probably not. I can imagine you probably just wanted to create music. I wanted to be a rich, famous rock and roll star. Uh, I grew up in a lower middle class family, a large, very large family, you know, a lot of secondhand clothes and, and, uh, you know, not, not the kid who got everything he wanted. So I dreamed of being rich. I also wanted to be famous because uh, as the oldest of six and the first child of all, like, like my, there was all my mother's brothers and sisters and my father's, I was the first born. So for a moment, I was Simba. I was held up, you know, it's a circle of life. And then all of a sudden, everybody started having children like it was a competition. And I was dropped on the ground and fend for yourself. And um, so I felt I grew up very deprived of attention. So I being famous, I thought I would get the attention that I desperately wanted. And then sitting there going, now, how can I get rich and famous? Well, I can sing and I like rock and roll. I'll be in a rock and roll band. So um my motivations were always to be a rock star, rich, famous rock star. It was not, uh, it was not really motivated by, I, I love music, but not really like I have to, I have something to say, man. It was never that for me. It was always like, I want to be rich and famous. I love it. I, I appreciate the honesty. I think that's great. And you clearly made all of that happen and more. It's fantastic. And although be it, you are retired, but you, you, you're a musician. we most people know you, I mean, just because of who you are, you've done Broadway, you've done all these things. I'm very curious to find out because in my opinion, you and others, I think mostly what you guys were doing, I remember, were, were really pioneers of free speech, I think, with music and really just telling things how they were and, and what was happening in the culture at the time. When you write your music and you put all of this together, what what is it that drives you or motivates you to create and to write like what is your mindset what space do you have to get in d to really just put all of this together that you've done well i i'm i am truly blessed that creativity on all levels you know um and i'm very creative has always just come to me uh almost like an avalanche uh okay. to the point where i had to train myself to turn the the faucet off um because i would in the course of a day i'd, I'd have song ideas or movie ideas or or uh whatever it was creatively but i wouldn't remember them <laughs> i'd forget them and then by this incredible frustration um that i had, had this great song idea was it you know the the tenacious d song tribute if you've ever heard it it's the greatest oh, yes. song ever written but it's it's a tribute to the greatest song ever written because they can't remember the song. Uh, they wrote it and no can't remember it, but it was the greatest song. So I kept having these moments. So I trained myself, said I don't think wouldn't think about a, a creative things until I'm ready, whether it's with a tape recorder to sing the song into, which is how I would work with a writing, or a pad to write down my ideas. But otherwise, I just don't try not to think in a creative sense. So I'm blessed on that level. Um, beyond that, you know, it's then comes down to, I definitely have things that I want to say, uh, you know, and, and writing songs and even writing movies 
uh, where I love exploring uh, uh, good and evil. Uh, you know, Strange Land was an exploration of good and evil. My enemy's enemy is definitely an exploration of the accepted good and the accepted evil and, and where those lines are drawn. And then when you talk about censorship, you know, um, you know, I wasn't conscious as a kid that uh, it was censorship, but I was always wanted to pre present myself outrageously and would run into people who uh, would push back on that and say, you know, uh, object to the way I looked, object to the way I acted, want me to be more normal, whatever that is. And, and that is censorship in a way as well, going in, into a biker bar, wearing women's clothing, literally women's clothing, and having guys just start to call you a faggot and, and want to fight you for how you look, that they are trying to censor me. They did, were trying to stop me. Of course, I pushed back on that as well and had a lot of fights. Um, so, you know, so yeah, I have been battling censorship unconsciously or consciously uh, pretty much my whole life. Yeah, I would say that's definitely the case, which is one of the things that I find so fascinating about you, your music that you have created over the decades and that have released because there's always a message and you said something interesting. You know, it's not necessarily just, you know, I have something to say because I want to say it, but you're passionate about your music. You're passionate about creating and putting something out there that means something to people. I mean, I remember in middle school and, and beyond listening to your music and being able to relate to the things that you have to say, even today with your current projects, understanding it and going, okay, to me as an individual, this makes perfect sense, which I love. Well, I'm glad. Yeah. You know, there was a disposableness to rock and I say, you know, in the eighties, it kind of, uh, peaked uh you know the, the whole sex drug rock and roll let's party and you know and uh and many and a lot of music written and i wanted to i'm not i'm not um i don't want to uh, take pot shots at other people's music but written you know for sensationalism or just to you know to get a response or a reaction which i get uh, i always felt uh obligated to communicate more, to say more, to reach out. And then when I first started sort of singing these songs about, about, you know, frustrations and angers in the world around me, I was shouting out to the world, but I didn't know if anybody else was like paying attention. But I soon found out that a lot of people were paying attention. And, and, you know, and of course, the big one is we're not going to take it or I want to rock. But, you know, statements like that were songs about independence and fighting back and, 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 you know, and being who you are and not letting others oppress you or censor you. So, yeah, this has always been an important thing for me to speak. And, and now I sort of realize at this point in my life that I am that I have become one of those guys. I have become one of those guys who is a voice for the voiceless. And Leave a Scar has a lot of songs which represent the voiceless and, and are speaking for I know I'm speaking for a lot of people out there who are are technically voiceless. They don't certainly don't have the voice I have. Yeah, I mean, you obviously have a, a large global platform for that, for sure. We talk about censorship, which, you know, I think is an ongoing problem. 
But then there is the cancel culture as well, especially with music today, it seems, where artists like yourself or others, and, and I, I really don't even like to compare you to other people because I don't think it's a fair comparison just because of who you are. And, I'm, and I really do mean that. But interestingly enough, with music today, it seems like musicians have to be careful or anybody that creates content or art comedians whatever have to be careful because if you don't do or say the right thing as people perceive it you are completely done which i don't understand that it, to me it's just mind blowing that we can take our grievances we can take our grievances to the internet and just we're one minute we can argue about apartheid and the next minute we can talk about how something you did 20 years ago uh, is not culturally appropriate, which is so bizarre to me. I, I totally agree. And, you know, uh, and I, 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 this record, you know, Leave a Scar, was actually the first writing that I've done since the 90s. And the 90s, even though I've had records out, um, you know, uh, I've not done any writing since the 90s. And I really felt compelled to say something at this time. But as I wrote there was a moment um in particular that jumps in my head and as uh, a song on the album called in for the kill uh which which is a metaphor yet a little voice in me said mm, i don't know can you say in for the kill fire at will and the and the 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 the, the, the you know the, the fighter against censorship started screaming at that voice going, are you kidding me are you kidding me you're actually thinking about like can i say this it's metaphor I mean, one of the key tools in writing is metaphor. And are we, are we eliminating metaphor from our, you know, from our palette of creativity that we can't say a phrase that, that, that you know, like, like in for the kill. And the song is about just that moment where you're going for it. You know, you, you're ready and now's your time and you're going for it. And I actually, and I wrote the song as I would write it. But the fact that Dee Snyder, had thought for a moment, hmm, can I say that in this time? That's really fucked up, for lack of a better word. Yeah. It's interesting. I had DJ Yella on last week from NWA, and he had just recently released a book talking about his time uh, in the business. He's far removed at this point, but he said earlier on, very similarly in our conversation, you know, they opened up their front doors and they wrote what they saw, and a lot of their songs were metaphors about what, you know, people were seeing and doing and then comparing it to what's happening today going, I don't know if we would have, you know, if we were, had been, if we had been discovered today, would we have experienced the same amount of success because of censorship, because of the cancel culture. And it's crazy to even have to have that conversation with yourself because things I feel uh, in the creative space, have just kind of gone in a very strange and odd direction. Personally, yeah, we. I often my my son is a uh, an up and coming filmmaker, and we talk about movies that you know, like just just sort of significant movies historically, and could they be made today? Uh, Blazing Saddles, a Mel Brooks comedy where the N word is dropped, and uh, and and certainly you know appropriate. You know, there's so many references and things that happened in there. And he said that movie couldn't be made today. You could, no. We were questioning if the movie Tropic Thunder could be made today 
with Robert Downey Jr. in blackface, even though it was incredibly, he was nominated for Academy Award for that role. And, and it was incredibly done really well where they balanced it out with the, with the, um, the not Al Pacino, that wasn't his name, but the rapper who's uh, in that, in there with him calling, what do you mean we, what do you mean we, you know, like, yeah, no, no, they they did it really well, but, but, uh, he says that you couldn't even get those kind of movies past, you know, they wouldn't pass muster anymore in the studio system. Yeah. They wouldn't even, they, no, 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 no. We can't even, we can't even consider that. Yeah. I've even heard conversations like a show like the office, which is not that old considerably might face some challenges. The show entourage. I know there's a big push for that to get remade. And even Doug Ellen, the creator goes, I don't know how we would make something like that happen today because although it was accurate and perhaps stylized uh, for the time and the culture of what Hollywood would have looked like, but with the whole Me Too and all of this other stuff that has come out years after, it could be a bit of a challenge, which I appreciate your honesty in this conversation because, I mean, if there's anybody to talk to about it who's lived it and experienced it, it's you and to even find yourself in a situation where you even had to question a lyric, you know, just it's crazy to think uh, that. Totally. And look at the movie, the dirt, uh, the pushback that movie got, uh, you for representing an era and what happened and as it happened. And, uh, and there were girls under the table, given the band BJ's and, uh, and, and (laughs) that was, you know, like, Oh yeah. What what they want you to, rewrite history is that what they're asking is that what we've gotten to where yeah but that was offensive to people so you shouldn't show history as it actually happened it should be modified history it was a that that was a that was a snapshot of a certain time you know and uh you know and if anything it let it be a lesson to girls so stay out from underneath the restaurant table There you have it. Yeah, that's very true. I want to switch gears just here and talk about, again, when you got started and you began your career, obviously, well, I don't want to know. Maybe I shouldn't say that. From my understanding of the times, the way that you got started and began things is markedly different than how perhaps musicians get started today. Do you ever come across young bands when you're touring or when you're out and about and people recognize you obviously for who you are and ask or solicit advice, you know, for like, Hey, how do I make it? I mean, can you relate to a question like that? Because it was clearly different for you versus how it might be now or it, yeah. what, what do you tell people? You know, I, I do. And, um, and you know, there's advice I can give and advice I can't give. I don't know the exact course or the exact path. Um, you know, that that people need to take today. I see it has a social media uh, component to it. I know that promoters are looking for streams and and, you know, and 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 reaction in their marketplace. So uh, tours can be are booked, you know, like a, I call it the dartboard tours where, you know, well, a club. I know for a fact there's a club in New York City that looks at how many downloads you've gotten at this band. It doesn't matter if they're popular in the rest of the world or not. In their area, there's 300 people that they know will come into a small club to see a band, and they'll and they'll book accordingly. Um, so I know there's a, a component in that, but I, I do say, look, it, it, it don't look back at the old days and say it was easier than it was not. We had our own crosses to bear, and it was difficult as 
all excrement. Um, you know, why am I, I cursed one second? I'm not cursing another second. I can't. I don't know. Censorship. Uh, censorship, <laughs> damn it. Um, I like using the word excrement, though, instead of shit sometimes. It's a lot more aggressive yeah. <laughs> and descriptive. I like yeah. it personally. <laughs> uh, and uh, but one of the big things I, you know, I, I have and I and I've been thanked by many in my post, my realization that it's not a finish line. That's the shocker. We're going to make it. Is like, you know, and you live happily ever after. No, uh, you know, those people who have a long career, like a U2 or an Ozzy or an Eric Clapton or Elton John, those are the point zero 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 one percenters. The rest of us have a moment. You know, it used to be three to five years, maybe even less now. Um, but, and you've got to use that, whatever energy you're, you've gotten, wherever that takes you, to take you to, on. That's just realize that that is a, a part of your life's journey and you got to use that energy to take you to the next part of your life's journey. And I have told many young musicians and been, been thanks. So a uh, lit who was a night, you know, a late nineties, early 2000s band uh, because of my counsel with them. Uh, uh, Jeremy opened up a, a rock, great rock club restaurant in Anaheim. And he's been very successful. He said, this is because you told me parlay what you've t taken. Um, uh, uh, Evan Seinfeld from the band Biohazard, which were a metal band and had some success in the 90s. I spoke to him and he went into porno. A porno. He's very successful uh, of, of filmmaker in the porno, porno world. Uh, but that was because I told him parlay, you know, so I, there's many musicians. And that's one thing I just try to tell them is recognize it. This is a journey and you don't know how far this is going to take you. So whatever energy you're, you're, you're getting from this figure, like, how can I take, use this to take me to the next step in my journey? And it may not be making more records. It may not be making more music or more tours. I would agree with you. I mean, that's clear in your career. So in 2016, you guys retired and stopped the twisted sister group and you continued on, but you have parlayed. I mean, you did Broadway, you've done, you're radio, podcast, TV, radio, TV. Voiceover. I mean, you've... but you know, but the thing is, I didn't have that warning, so I had that awful moment where I realized it was over, um, and nobody was buying what I was selling anymore, and I needed to do something else. I was married, I had three children, and the money I had, had run out, and I was like, "What now?" So it was a, it was a very dark double bankruptcy period struggle, struggle, ugly bicycling to a desk job, answering phones uh, for 200 bucks a week at like five years after my heyday. Like what? Like, uh, and people walking in the office and going, aren't you? And I'm lying going, no, because it was so, I was so ashamed. And no, and you know what? When I said no, they, they bought it because no one could believe that I'd be sitting there answering a phone. They go, you look just like them. I go, yeah, amazing, right? I only, if only, <laughs> if only. But so I had a very dark period where I had to regroup because I wasn't ready to parlay the energy. I didn't rethink it would ever end. So, you know, so, but then I started exploring voiceover. That was one of the first things and started made a career in voiceover and radio. And that took a few years to get that to a, a well-established career and writing and making movies and acting and all these things. But it was all, there was a, a year I had $0 income, zero. And it was like, wow. oh, borrowed money. And this was in the nineties because I had burned through the millions I made 
and no drugs, no alcohol, no fingers to point and say, they did it. They stole from me. No, no. I lived like a rock star and I didn't think it would ever end. And I refused to accept that it would ever end. But then, then one day, you know, the memo came, uh, you know, grunge came in and it was like, yeah, we're not doing what you do anymore. Like what? Yeah. We don't sing like you look like you act like you write like you perform like you, nothing you do has any value today, including your song catalog. Nobody wanted to touch that with a 10 foot pole. I tried to sell it for next to nothing and nobody would even buy it for next to nothing. Uh, thankfully, because I wound up selling it for an incredible amount of money and set me up for life. Um, but um, but I had to wait it out until its value returned. But I was at a point where I would, would sell anything I had just to feed my kids. So, um, you know, anyway, it was tough. And that's a weird, ugly, dark note to let's end on this note because we got to wrap this up. I have another interview. Let's say I've got a new album out, Kaliva's Scar. Yes. Um, that I am uh, happy, healthy, wealthy, and, uh, and living a good life. So, uh, and, uh, and smiling a lot. Um, I'm, I'm not mad at the world anymore. I'm a little mad at the world, but not as much as I used to be. Uh, certainly, I vent that anger and frustration in, in on Leave a Scar. And, um, you know, and, and I hope people will check it out. Um, and, you know, I hope to be doing live shows in 2022. I'm sort of sitting this one out because it's still, to me, uh, very unstable. You know what I mean? Or we see more and more concerts or whatever. I'm scratching my head going, yeah. Are we really opening the floodgates already? Because it seems like the number of people dying and getting sick is going up, not down. So I'm not sure, um, you know, I'm going to sort of wait a little longer before I, I, I get back into that fray. Uh, but expect me to direct uh, movies. I wrote a novel. Uh, I've created a kids TV show that's in development over at Peacock. I've got so many projects, a, a horror TV show that's in development right now. So I've got so many projects. Um, whether I retire from rock and roll you know, D. Snyder uh, ultimately retire in the next whatever. Uh, I've got so much I will be doing and creative things for years to come. So uh, you're not done with me yet. I love it. Fantastic. We will have to have you back and catch up with you down the road. D. Schneider, thanks for joining me today. I appreciate That's it. Great talking to you, man. I wish we had more time because it was a great conversation. Thank you. That brings today's show to a close. Goodly do. Thanks for stopping by. If you enjoyed the episode, feel free to share it with a friend and subscribe. It's absolutely free. The views and opinions of the guests do not necessarily reflect those of the host. Autobots, roll out. Go home.